Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today we continue our series, The Gifts of the Holy Spirit, and Dr. John will teach us a message entitled, The Supremacy of Love, found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. So let's join Dr. Newfeld now. The hardest thing it seems to me for the Church of Jesus Christ to do is what Jesus wants of us most, that we love. In John 13, 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now that teaching follows after Jesus poured water into a basin and began washing his disciples' feet. The NIV translations describes this as the full extent of his love. Other more literal translations simply say, he loved them to the end. And then two chapters later in John 15 verse 12, Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he goes on to describe the kind of love with which he loved them. He would lay down his life for them. Christians are to love as he did. You know, if I were to put that into everyday practical terms, I would say, that we are to love one another in such a way that we will make sacrifices for each other, denying ourselves of things we might want in order to benefit the other. Ultimately, if we are called to do it, we should lay down our lives for each other. So let me suggest a recent historical example. When Adolf Hitler took power in Germany, Germany at that time had about 69% of the population who claimed to be Protestant Christians and the majority of them being Lutheran. In 1933, Ludwig Müller was elected as Bishop of the Lutheran Church with a strong endorsement from Adolf Hitler. Müller then gave leadership in removing any pastor from office in the church who did not have pure German blood, effectively removing all Christian Jewish pastors from the church. And that, of course, was but the first step in the liberal German church's complicity with Hitler. But in that same year, 1933, when German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer was but 27 years old, he wrote a stinging rebuke in a paper he knew would put his life into jeopardy. He wrote that the church was honor-bound to address this question, even if it meant falling into what he called the spokes of the wheel. He meant that Christians should stand with their Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ, even if that meant that the full force of the government would be aligned against them. But Bonhoeffer was not done. He went further, radically further. He argued that Christians must also do the same for non-Christian Jewish people as well. What leads one man to so stand against the prevailing hatred of the day and the many who are afraid simply did nothing? See, the answer is that Bonhoeffer and the few courageous German Christians who stood with him was love. He was under the command of Christ who so loved that he laid down his life for others. And that is the call of the church. We are to be the people of Jesus, which is the people of love. We are to find ways, whether the days are as dark as they were in Nazi Germany or other more mundane days, but we are to be the people of love. We are to find ways to sacrifice something or to go without something or to give up something for the tangible benefit of someone else. It is this that is the authentic mark of the church. John 15 verse 12, 
love one another as I have loved you. And then just five verses later in in John 15, verse 17, Jesus says, these things I have commanded you so that you will love one another. See, love is mandated for the people of God. It's, It's to be the atmosphere in which the church lives. You know, if we have our doctrines correct, then that's a very valuable thing. Without a solid theological footing for the people of God, the church will eventually fail. And if we're using our spiritual gifts, it will strengthen the church. But all of that will seem hollow and irritating and even dishonoring to Jesus if we fail to have love. So from what we've read and said, can we define love? See, I think we can. To love someone else is to sacrifice ourselves for their benefit out of affection for them. Let me say it again. It means to do good to someone else, even at our own expense, out of affection for them. And that doesn't come naturally. It's given to us from God. Now, while I know I'm, I'm slightly off point, but I think it's necessary here to, to highlight the difference between love of fellow human beings and love of God. See, we don't sacrifice for God. God doesn't need our sacrifice. Indeed, God is not benefited by us. Whatever sacrifices we might make for the gospel, it's for our good and the good of others. It's not for the good of God. So then how do we love God? Well, we love God by simply delighting in him and and finding him as the source of our highest joy. But we love others by sacrificing what we might want and giving it to them. We're studying 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, which is the extended teaching in in our Bible regarding spiritual gifts. You know, placed into the center of this teaching is perhaps one of the most beautiful pieces of literature that the human race possesses. Simply listening to its language, its poetry, its highly exalted themes, well, that's sweet to the ear. And for that reason, it might seem somewhat callous to break it down into its components and study it thoroughly. But we are required not only to marvel at its use of language, but also to carefully apply it to our lives. But we also owe it to ourselves to hear the entire chapter, simply being read without comment. So sit back and listen to something which is utterly beautiful to hear. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. I'll say it again. Love is the greatest challenge before the church. 
We may learn our doctrines well, and we should and must, and we may learn to be a thoroughly biblical people. We may become activists, tirelessly giving ourselves to the Lord's work. All of that's possible while we are profoundly unloving. Jesus told the church in Ephesus, you have lost the love you had at first. And with that, he warned them that it was possible that their lampstand could be removed from its place. How important is love? In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul calls it the greatest, greater than faith and hope. For without love, we might still believe in the cross, but we will never understand the cross. But here now is the issue. We need to understand what the Bible means when it speaks about love and when it demands love of us. And of course, by the time we come to verse 4 and following, we are told that love is patient and kind and not boastful. And then following that, we do get a sense of what love is. But because our chapter begins with a possibility of, of using spiritual gifts without love, we have to leave open the idea that it is possible to be involved in great accomplishments and be unloving. Indeed, we can be passionate about something, even for good works, and still be unloving. I wonder if we are well served to remember 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. What do you have that you did not receive? So in other words, take stock of everything that you call yours, even your accomplishments. Remember then the spiritual gifts that God has given you. Are they not only those things that you've received, not what you've accomplished? As we speak about spiritual gifts, we do well to remember all of 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? In other words, the differences between us, the fact that some have this gift and not another, is no reason for boasting. It is rather only reason for thankfulness. We should be overwhelmed that God has so gifted us that he would allow us to be productive in his kingdom. How seductive it is to imagine that our importance in life is based on our undertakings. Is it not true that in our society, we tend to measure ourselves against others on the basis of, you know, who, who makes the most amount of money or who has the most prestigious job and who's accomplished the most things? What if we learned that all we ever had done was a gift of God? What then is left for us to do? Is it not this, that we would be left with the debt of love? Now, does that sound radical? Listen to Romans 12, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Hi, Ben Lowell from Back to the Bible Canada. I'm grateful to express our gratitude for those who supported the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada with a financial gift during our fiscal year-end match campaign. Last month, we reached out across the country to ask for your help to sustain the Bible teaching and engagement ministries of Back to the Bible Canada. We're excited to share that we reached our match campaign goal of $75,000 in June, resulting in $150,000 being contributed to our fiscal year end. The campaign was such a success that now an additional $50,000 has been pledged to continue our match campaign through July. So for the month of July, we share with you the opportunity to participate in an additional $50,000 for dollar match campaign. Every dollar you give will be doubled. Thank you for your generosity and commitment. Call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
please don't hear this as a sermon against accomplishments. I'm all for people working hard and accomplishing much. Each one of us should do the best we can and be the best we can, and more so. When it comes to our spiritual gifts, those, you know, those important endowments given to every believer by the Holy Spirit that, that allows us to glorify God by serving the church, I'm all for using them effectively for the Lord's service. Having received gifts, we, we do well to labor at them with all of our hearts. But what if gifts of the Spirit exist all alone without love? That would be a toxic environment. Gifts need the oxygen of love. And so in the last part of chapter 12, Paul says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Now here we might wonder, more excellent than what? Well, in the sentence just before that, Paul has been saying, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. So he repeats that phrase in the early part of chapter 14, where he says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Now to be sure, the Corinthians were already desiring spiritual gifts. But I think that the Holy Spirit inspired this for the entire church of Jesus. All Christians everywhere should desire spiritual gifts. But, says Paul, there is a more excellent way. We might ask, does he mean more excellent than desiring spiritual gifts? Well, no, not exactly. He means more excellent than desiring spiritual gifts as an end in themselves, or or more excellent than desiring spiritual gifts by themselves. He means that using spiritual gifts is not enough, not even close to being enough. Before we look at the details of the first three verses of chapter 13, might I suggest we step back and notice that it is often the case that it is common to find people who use their spiritual gifts do so without love. Imagine the loveless preacher. He, He might even be a gifted preacher. Perhaps his calling is degenerated into a job and he's just, he's just trying to get through to retirement. Or perhaps his gift of preaching has, has inflated his ego and, and in the end he's really just preaching about himself. He's long since lost interest in the well-being of his people. Or imagine the loveless use of the gift of helps. We have seen it, people doing all sorts of good but who miss a celebration of the lives they're touching. You know, they help all right but they feel they're not recognized as they ought to be. And and when they help you, well, you get this uncomfortable sense that you owe them one now. They're quick to point out that they're not appreciated and you sense that you're walking on eggshells when you're around them. Or imagine the loveless Sunday school teacher or the loveless parking lot attendant at your church or the loveless usher or the loveless elder, the loveless deacon, the, the loveless worship leader, the loveless church. You may have noticed that for the third time now, Paul introduces a list of spiritual gifts. So the first list included the nine gifts. They were found in chapter 12, verses 8 and 10. And then he produced a second list of eight gifts. That was in chapter 12, verse 28. And each list are like presents handed out at Christmas time. The Holy Spirit coming through the church and, and handing out presents so that we, with bated breath, can't wait to pull the covers off the gift and use them for the glory of God. But now in chapter 13, verses 1 to 3, Paul produces a third list. Five gifts are mentioned here, and they include the gifts of tongues, prophecy, faith, sacrificial giving, martyrdom. But here, rather than just mentioning more gifts and encouraging us to use them, Paul wants us to imagine them without love. Now, Paul knows that in Corinth, so many of the gifts they were using, especially the gift of tongues and of prophecy, they were being used as a source of pride. 
It's a part of a a game of spiritual one-upmanship. In other words, there were some who felt that those two gifts made one more spiritual than the rest. Remember, the Corinthians had asked Paul, does speaking in tongues and prophesying make us more spiritual? At least that's what some would have thought. Of course, in order to even ask that question, something's already missing. And, and of course, what's missing is love. You know, Paul could have scolded them, demanding that things change. Instead, he's very gentle on this one. Instead of using them as an example, he uses himself as an example. He says, imagine what I would look like without love. But instead of just talking about the gifts that he already has, he says, what if the gifts I had were better than they already are? What if my gifts were 10 times more effective than they are? Now, that might seem impossible. I mean, after all, he's the great apostle to the Gentiles. He's one hundreds, perhaps thousands to Christ. He's started churches all over Asia Minor and Greece. He's he's spearheaded the call to world missions. He's one of the few elite men who are called apostles. He's a visionary, unlike most of the world has ever seen, and he has insight into the mysteries of Christ. I mean, who could have better gifts than that? But he says, imagine my gifts were even greater. So he begins with tongues. Listen again to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In chapter 14, verse 18, Paul says that one of his gifts is indeed the gift of tongues. He speaks in tongues, he says, more than all of them. But here he says, imagine I had the gift of tongues of men and angels. Imagine my tongues were beyond what anyone could imagine that I could speak in the language that angels speak in heaven. And by the way, it's intriguing if you consider it. Indeed, what language is spoken in heaven? I mean, I don't know. And Paul's not giving us a theory or a doctrine here. I mean, the case is hypothetical. And and if I might, just to get ahead of myself, you know, when someone today says that they have the gift of tongues and that their tongues follows no cohesiveness or no grammatical structure, and it bears no marks of recognizable communication, then sometimes we find people using this verse to justify just making noise, crazy sounds, and and calling it tongues. And then they say, wow, this is not a human tongue. It's, It's an angelic tongue, after all. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1 teaches us. But this verse is hardly a biblical justification for tongues that are not languages. Again, when we get to 1 Corinthians 14, I will, from that text, give an extended and a detailed definition of tongues. But but the Bible is not here giving us a justification for meaningless sounds. Tongues are not gibberish, as I suspect. There's no gibberish going on in heaven. But I'm getting diverted. Next, Paul moves to the gift of prophecy. Verse 2 says, and if I have prophetic powers. Now, as we know, Paul did have the gift of prophecy, and more so, he was a prophet appointed by God to declare the mystery of Christ. Not just a prophet. Listen to how he describes himself in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. He says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That's incredible insight. But now he says, what if I could understand all mysteries and all knowledge? And compare that to chapter 13, verse 12. And there Paul says, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. What if, he says, my gift of prophecy revealed everything there is to know about God, what then? 
And, and what if my gift of faith could move mountains in front of you? Who has that? And what if my gift of giving was not just more than others? What if I completely bankrupted myself? And what if I even, instead of just being martyred, showed up and offered myself for martyrdom? I mean, after all, we remember Daniel's three friends being thrown into the fiery furnace. I mean, they didn't volunteer for that job, Paul says. But what if I volunteered? In other words, imagine my gifts were light years beyond anyone else, and yet they were without love. What then? And Paul says, if that were the case, well, we'd know three things. Number one, without love, says Paul, I would be annoying. In verse one, the idea of a noisy gong is the idea that you can tolerate it, but if it doesn't stop, what then? Well, then it feels like someone's boring a drill into your head. It's, it's annoying. I mean, without love, you are annoying. And number two, Without love, says Paul, I would be insignificant. Paul says, in that case, I'm nothing. It's quite a statement. I mean, how can the great apostle be insignificant? I mean, he's written half the New Testament. And yet he says, without love, he is nothing. His work would still be significant, but he himself would be insignificant. And that's true of all of us. We may accomplish much, but, but we might not be much if we don't have love. And number three, without love, says Paul, I would have no personal advantages at all. Paul says, I gain nothing. Do you know the person whose life is nothing? The man or woman who gains nothing, that's the man or woman who's wasted his or her life. Can you imagine a life lived that way? That after 80 years on this earth, all that can be said is that they were annoying, they were insignificant, and they're left with a feeling of emptiness. And that's the gifts without love. It's life without love. So do you think that love is nice, but you can get along without it? Well, you can't. If today you're a loveless person, you are to be pitied. Pray to the Holy Spirit that you can become a man or a woman of love. John, it's a great message because I think we can go through life doing a lot of good things but maybe not with that impetus of love behind it all. In fact, I'm sure we can do things for people that we don't love, but I think that's not what Paul is saying here. I think he really desires for us to have a love for the people that we serve. Yeah, he does. You know, love is such a hard word to define, Ben. I, you know, I, I tried in this message and in the next one to, to really work at a definition, but it always seems to elude us in some fashion. But I think we're aware of the fact that what unloving uh, attitudes actually feel like for the person who's being served. Uh, we've all been around individuals who seem to do things for us, but they don't love us. So, uh, you know, th there it is. Thanks so much, John. We look forward to learning more about this in the days to come right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. We're missing you. And the opportunities we've had in the past to meet you face to face, share in times of worship and laughter, and the study of God's Word. So enough is enough. Back to the Bible Canada, Laugh Again, and In Doubt are excited to invite you to our 2021 special virtual event called The Gathering, coming on Sunday, September 19th. Enjoy an exclusive message from Dr. John Newfeld hosted by Laugh Again's own Phil Calloway, and musical guests that will enrich our time together in worship. More information is on the way, so keep an eye out at backtothebible.ca or sign up for the daily audio mail or monthly 
ministry email update while you're there, or just give us a call at 1-800-663-2425.